It was a hot, muggy morning on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, like every morning in that part of Palestine, is hot and muggy. James, John, Peter, Andrew were tired. They had spent the whole night fishing and caught absolutely nothing. So they were going about the duty that they had to of washing the nets. The rope got real tight, difficult to work with after having been out there in the water all night long. And they could just get this over with so they could go home and get some much-deserved sleep. Then they heard a voice, a familiar voice. Jesus had been hanging out with them the last few months. Jesus seemed to enjoy being with them. He liked to talk fishing, even done some fishing together. They got on some trips with Jesus, sort of day trips, sort of getting to know him. And so they see him, and they hear him. Jesus walks up to him and smiles and looks at him and he says, I, I want you to come and follow me. And standing there with their nets, they realized that there was something this morning different in his voice. His look was more intense. In fact, his eyes seemed to look right into their souls. Jesus says, I want you to come and and follow me. And if you will, I'm going to make you. You're going to become fishers of men. Now, they didn't understand what in the world he was talking about. What do you mean by becoming a fisher of men? But it intrigued them. Because they'd been around with Jesus enough to know that whatever Jesus said he would do, you could mark it down, he was going to do it. And whatever Jesus did, he really seemed to care deeply about people with what he did in their lives. But there was an immediacy about it. Come right now and follow me. And there was also some destiny that seemed to be wrapped up in it. I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to shape you into something. Somehow or another... These guys knew that what Jesus was inviting them to was going to change their life. But man, that was a tough decision to make. They had been raised on the shores of Galilee. They had been raised as fishermen. They were generational fishermen. This was the family business. This was their job security. This was their identity. This was their culture. And Jesus is saying, I want you to leave that and follow me. And so they had to to make a decision immediately. Would they drop their nets? And would they follow him? Join the story. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Begin in the verse 16. Passing along the side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me, and I'm going to make you become fisher of men. And immediately... They left their nets and followed him. 
And going a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now my sermon outline is in your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along. Notice what Jesus does. He goes to where these guys are. They are fishermen, so he goes to where they've been fishing. He walks up to them in their world, on their territory, in their space. And he says, I want you to follow me. Jesus is not confined to church buildings. In fact, Jesus does some of his best work off of church property. He will show up in our lives anywhere in time He wants to. He will work in our lives any place in time that He wants to. So never be too surprised where Jesus shows up in your life and goes to work because we're the ones who tend to try to confine Him to Sundays and buildings like this. He has never been confined to Sundays and buildings like this. He loves to show up anytime, anywhere because His love does not know the confining of a place or a time. And His destiny for your life does not know what it means to be confined to a place or a time. Now notice what happens in the story. Jesus says in verse 17, I'm going to make you fishers of men if you follow me. The word there doesn't mean I'm going to set you up to do a task. We so often think of sharing Jesus with people, and we use the term evangelism, is it's a task that we pick up. But the word there, make, is actually the idea of becoming something. It's what I am, not during designated periods of time and places. I'm going to go do a mission trip or whatever. It's the idea that he's saying, I'm shaping you to become this. This is what you will be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In other words, I'm going to make you, I'm going to shape you, I'm going to release the power of my Holy Spirit in you and through you so that your lifestyle is going to be one, regardless of what you do for a living, your lifestyle is going to be one of saying, man, how can I share Jesus with people? How can God shape me and use me to draw people to Himself? That The folks that I come in contact with every day, whether it's a clerk at the grocery store or somebody I work with or whatever, Jesus loves them and I want to find a way to share the love of Jesus. That's just who I am. That's the idea of what Jesus is saying here. You will become this. Now, how do we become this? Well, first of all, it is not based on your talent, your skill, or your ability. So many times we get the idea, well, because I can't teach or I can't preach or I'm an introvert or whatever my personality happens to be or my background, the Lord can't use me. Jesus does not base this on personality traits, skills and abilities. He says, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. In fact, if you look at the personalities of the guys that are involved here, they had very different personalities. Peter was an extrovert on steroids. I mean, he's just running his mouth and stuff's coming out half the time and he didn't even understand what's coming out of his mouth, but he's got to have something coming out of his mouth because that's who he was. John, you get the idea, was probably a little bit more on the quiet side. Andrew doesn't seem to say much of anything. I mean, if you've got a brother who runs his mouth all the time, somebody in the family's got to be quiet. If the two of them are extroverts, then you'll never get anything in edgewise. And so you got two brothers with two different personalities, but the Lord uses both of them in different ways. So it's not based on your skill, your ability, your personality. It's just based on two aspects that I want to share with you. Number one, 
It is based, how does Jesus make us? He makes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I said this to you a few weeks ago. When He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, that's where He infuses His power in us and through us to be used of Him. I can't stress that enough. And it's at the place of prayer that we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. At the place of prayer. You see, when I pray, when I ask God, would you take me and use me, when I look at situations and I say, God, would you touch those people? Would you touch that neighborhood? Would you work in that person's life? I'm leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power is being released through me, God begins to help me see people the way He sees people. God begins to help me see what He's doing in a situation. You see, we can screw it all up so many times in evangelism because we think, i got to go out here, knock somebody in the head, and tell them about Jesus. Jesus didn't go around knocking anybody in the head to try to tell them about Himself. He loved people to Himself. He got in touch with what God was doing in their lives, and He joined the Lord God in what was going on in their lives. And God helps us to see this is what's going on in this person's life. This is how I'm drawing them. This is how I'm working in them. Join me in that. He works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to form character in us. You see, the first thing people look at when they look at us is our character. And then they decide whether they want to listen to anything coming out of our mouth. And if they see character in us, then they'll decide, I want to listen to what's coming out of their mouth. And the Holy Spirit works in us like what I call divine miracle grow. He grows character in us. Character is not just a set thing. Character is either growing or it's dying in us. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to grow and develop character which gives us and entrance into people's lives so that they'll listen to what we're saying. The second thing he does after the power of the Holy Spirit is he teaches us, he enables us, he empowers us to love people the way Jesus loves people. Mark what I just said. To love people the way Jesus loves people. When I went to be the pastor of South Norfolk Baptist Church, I was ministering in an ethnicity area that was totally different from my background. I was ministering in a socioeconomics environment that was totally different from my background. And people that communicated often very differently than I did, acted different, even did humor different. And I kept asking God, how do I connect with these folks? How do I connect with this neighborhood? And I'd always said and preached, you know, you got to love people, you got to love people, you got to love people. So I started, I'm going to love these folks, going to love these folks, love these folks. And I was just sort of, you know, hitting brick walls and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord said, the problem is, you got to start loving people the way I love people. Not the way you love people. Not even the way you've been taught how to love people. you got to love people the way I love people. Because one of the things Jesus was teaching me was, listen, I came from heaven. Every place I went and everybody I talked to was out of my background. My background was heaven. Not this earth. So you've got to learn how to love people the way that I love people. And one of the things I've discovered is the biggest hindrance most of us have to connecting with people and sharing Jesus is not their cultural backgrounds, ethnicity, or anything like that. It is fear. We get scared of people. And if I'm scared of folks, I can't connect to people that I'm scared of. 
I mean, if I'm scared of you, I can't connect to you. Because my fear gets in between me and you. And if I'm scared of you, what I'm going to communicate to you, even by not connecting, is that there's something wrong with you, and that's the reason I'm not connecting to you. There's something in you that causes me to fear you, and that's the reason I won't connect to you. And Jesus just didn't, wasn't afraid of people. His love for people was greater than his fear of people. That's the reason when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he wasn't even scared of the people who, was cruci who were crucifying him. His love for the people who was crucifying him superseded his potential fear of those people. And so when we say, Lord, would you just release your love for people through me, not my love, but your love, God gets us over the fear barrier. Loving people and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was a uh, freshman in college, I had a professor at Liberty, and I was taking a missions course, and he said, I want you guys to go out and I want you to do a 10-year growth study of your church. So I went back to my home church. It was our big assignment for the semester, and I had to engage in this 10-year growth study of my home church. And my home church was a large church, ran about seven, 800 attendants in Richmond, and I remember when I called my pastor up and I told him, I said, I've got to do this assignment and it's a 10-year growth study. My pastor said, we have only baptized 13 people this past year and it's the agony of my soul. So I began to, to interview church leaders and church staff. I took all the bulletins and newsletters for the last 10 years and locked myself up in the church library and spent hours going through all of that. What I discovered was about 10 years prior to that, the church had hit sort of the zenith of its growth spiral. They had baptized about 107 people one year, if you can imagine that. Added about 100 other additions. This was on the other end of almost 10 years of that, and they baptized 13 folks. And I began to ask myself as I looked at this study, what had happened in the church over that 10-year period of time? And this is what I discovered. It was very, very simple. At the end of 10 years, they had more money in the budget than they had had 10 years early when they baptized over 100 people. They had more people on staff. They had more buildings. I mean, more money, more staff, and more buildings are supposed to mean you're bigger and you're growing faster, but they weren't. Church had basically stagnated. Well, this was the two things I discovered that had changed in 10 years. The church was praying less. And everything had become centered inside the building. When I went back and looked at 10 years earlier, they were going out in the community and doing home prayer groups and all kinds of stuff outside the building off the property. And now they had this great big building with all this staff and a lot of money, and they were totally focused on trying to keep what was inside the building going. Important lesson. Let God take you and use you whenever, wherever He wants to use you. And let Him be as creative as He wants to be. When I went to South Norfolk, I had been used to doing these mission trips where we did vacation Bible schools in churches. And a friend of mine came to me early on there and he said, David, you need to move the Bible schools out of the churches and into the neighborhoods and into community centers. And I struggled and fought God on that. Lord, I can't go to a Bible school in a community center. It's not built to do a Bible school in. I can't go do these Bible schools out in these neighborhoods. And the Lord just stayed on me, and so we moved them out into the neighborhoods. I discovered we had people that would come to community centers and would come to a big yard that would not go to a church. We started reaching people that we would not have reached any other way. 
We went to a place called the Cuffee Center, which was a large, large recreational center about a mile and a half from our church. I never shall be. We got in there, and we had gone through the neighborhood and put out all the information about it, and we were picking the kids up and bringing them in, and by the second night, we had over 125 kids that had showed up for that Bible school. I was out picking up more kids, and my, I called my, my wife called me. She said, where are you? I said, I'm out here in the neighborhood getting some more kids, and she said, it feels like we got every kid in Chesapeake inside this coffee center right now. Why in the world are you bringing more children in here? I dropped the kids off that second night and I looked down in this big field beside the Cuffee Center and there were all these boys practicing football. Don't ever pass up a potential opportunity for God to do something. So I thought, well, you know, if we go down there and we give those boys water and I ask the head coach if I can pray with them. So I dropped the team off at the center, parked the church van, walked down in there, and I said, can I speak to the head coach? And they guided me to this guy named James Simons. And I said, I'm the pastor at South Norfolk Baptist Church. Can I give this team water tonight, and could we possibly pray? There's about 100 young men out there. And he looked at me, and he said, you said you're the pastor at South Norfolk Baptist? And I said, yes, I am. He said, I've been trying to get a hold of you for two weeks. I want to figure out how to connect this team to your church. I got on my cell phone. I called my wife because opening assembly was getting ready to start in the coffee center. And I said, honey, God's doing a work out on this field. Go get one of my college students to lead the opening assembly of Bible school. I'm staying out on this field because God is at work on this field. And a few minutes later, I was down on my knees praying with over 100 young football players. And what God showed me in that was, you just flow with me and I'll open doors all over the place. But you've got to be willing to do it as I'm opening up the doors to do it. I had a conversation with a lady that works in the school system here on Friday. And God is working in Franklin County. There has been some folks here that have been praying to be able to share Jesus with kids in the elementary schools here. And they're wanting to start Good News Bible Clubs. And as I begin to talk with her, that's what I've been doing in Chesapeake. We had several of those that we sponsored. And she was sharing with me, she says, the Lord's just opening all kinds of doors. And she said, I'd like for you to come on Saturday, June the 17th, from 10 to noon at, to Franklin Heights, where we're gathering people from across the county to pray and to talk about how we can begin to get into some of the elementary schools this fall and start Good News Bible Club. And I told her, I said, well, I'm going to go to my church and I'm going to talk to my church about us getting a team together. And she said, you know, we didn't have any of these clubs and we began to pray and she says, you just won't believe how God's putting this together. We got some folks out of Franklin Heights. We've got folks out of Fairview Baptist that want to work in that area. Beulah Baptist wants to work in the Song Tag area. She said, we have just sort of blown away at what God is doing in our county and how he is raising people up out of these different churches that have the same burden, etc. So I want to ask you to make that a matter of prayer. Saturday morning, June the 17th, 10 to noon, at Franklin Heights Church, where the training and equipping is going to take place. June the 25th, right here in this room, we will begin training. I met with our Vacation Bible School leadership this week. We are merging the training for shrimp with Vacation Bible School, and this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to train you and equip you to share your faith anywhere, anytime. So whether it's shrimp in Hampton Roads, whether it's here in Franklin County, 
or wherever it is God calls us, we're going to be equipping you. We're going to equip you through, we're going to be going through prayer times. We're going to give you 40 days of devotionals to prepare us to go into the summer. We're going to equip you in how to share your faith using a wristband. We're going to do a lot of music that we're going to be able to share with kids. It's got choreography. We're going to have an awesome time learning and doing it. Even if you can't participate in the stuff, just come and be part of it. Have fun. You will get to see your pastor look totally crazy. All right, I won't be as dignified as I am up here, particularly when we get in doing the choreography. And me teaching y'all choreography is going to be real interesting. But anyway... But we're going to just quit because one of the things we found with doing the music and the choreography is we have so much fun, the kids have so much fun, and then they want to hear, hear about Jesus. And then they take that home with them, etc. So that's June the 25th, 6 o'clock. Notice what happens with the disciples, verse 18. It says, they left their nets. They left their security. They left their lifestyle. They had to leave their culture to follow him. All of us have got a net in our hands. And Jesus is asking us, will you drop this for me? Will you drop this for me? For some of us, it's fear. For some, it's discouragement. You tried serving him, but things didn't go well. You just want to give up. For some of you, it may be shame. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of what I've said. I'm ashamed of my background. and I, I just can't follow Jesus because of the shame. Some of it is our security. I don't know. The Lord will show you what it is. But they had to drop it right then and there if they were going to follow him. And what is the net that we're holding? That Jesus is saying, you've got to drop this if you're going to follow me. You've got to walk away from it if you're going to follow me. It says they did it immediately. And then it says that they followed him. In the context of that day with both the Greek philosophers and the Jewish rabbis, the disciples would have understood what he meant by follow. It didn't mean that they checked out mentally and became like robots that followed him. In that day with both the Greek philosophers and the rabbis, when they used this term follow, it meant that you started walking on a journey with your teacher, and it was a dialogue of engaging the mind and the will and the emotions. And you discussed back and forth. So when Jesus says, I want you to follow me, what he's saying is, if you'll follow me, we're going to begin a journey together. We're going to talk back and forth. This is going to be a dialogue. Me teaching you, you asking me questions, me trying to answer them, and we're just going to go back and forth in this. That's what Jesus is calling us to. In Luke's account of this story, which I told the kids earlier in the service, notice what Jesus does. He first of all engages them at the point of their mind, their will. Will you follow me? And don't miss this. They engage him with their obedience. Yeah, Jesus we will follow you. Then Jesus engages their mind, their will first and then their mind, because they look at him and they see the miracle he does with the fish, and they say, you've got to be the Messiah. And when they get to the shore, Jesus engages their emotions. They fall down on their knees. 
And they say, yes, Lord, we will follow you. And what Jesus wants to do is engage your mind, your will, and your emotions. He wants you and I to engage all that we are with all that He is. And what trips the switch on all of this is obedience. Peter, take your boat and go out to the middle of the sea. Yes, Lord. And caught anything that you say to do with Jesus, I'll do it. Peter, Andrew, James, John, drop everything. Drop your net. Drop what you're holding on to. And follow me. Okay, Jesus. Don't understand all what you're saying. Don't understand where we're going. But I'm going to trust your heart. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to engage you. And let you see where you will make it. Will you follow him? Will you fall on your knees before him? Will you engage him? Let's pray. Lord, help us to engage you so that you can make us into whatever it is you want us to be made of. So that you, Lord, can shape and mold us to impact people for your glory. So, Lord, we can learn to love people the way you love people. And, Lord, whatever the net is that we're holding, help us to drop it so we can follow you. Our heads bowed. If you're here today and you need to start following Jesus and give your life to Him, I want to invite you as we sing in just a moment. Come on down front. I would love to pray with you about giving your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need to drop something, then why don't you do that in prayer as we sing? And of course, I'd be willing to pray with you about anything you need to pray about. If God's calling you to something that you've been resisting that call, then why not do what these guys did in the story today? They just drop it and say, Jesus, I, I may not understand exactly where you're calling me and what you want to do in my life, but I'll, I'll just go with you, Lord. I'll follow you. Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name.